Welcome to the Button to Christ Ministries podcast. Here you will find powerful messages from our ministry founder and president, Patrick Baker. You will also hear interviews and testimonies, all designed to encourage God's people to come higher in Christ Jesus and experience true power in Him. Join us every week on our prayer line every Tuesday and Friday morning at 5 a.m. and Tuesday and Friday nights at 7.30 and 9 p.m. respectively. All times are Eastern Standard Time. And now, without further ado, sit back and enjoy the Button to Christ Ministries podcast. Just in time to rescue me. He was there just in time to rescue me. I was lost in a world of sin, but he was there to take me. Oh, he was there just in time to rescue me. He was there just in time to rescue me. Jesus was there just in time to rescue me, my Lord. He was lost, I was lost in a world of sin, but he was there to take me in. Oh, he was there just in time to rescue me. Mm. I remember when I was lost in sin and sorrow. I was lost, and I could not find my way. I was lost in a world of sin, but he was right there to take me in. Oh, he was there just in time to rescue me. Have you ever... Lost a friend and some loved one. Someone you love so close and dear to you. Have you suffered a broken heart and seemed like all you have was gone? But he was there just in time to rescue me. Yeah. I'm so glad Jesus loves me. Yes, I am. Thank you, Jesus. Look at all he has done just for me, just for me. Jesus died on Calvary. Just to set a sinner free. Oh, he was there just in time to rescue me. He was there just in time to rescue me. Thank you, Jesus. He was there just in time. 
Lord. I was lost in a world of sin, but he was there, just right there, there to take me in. Oh, he was there, just in time to rescue me. I crown you now with many crowns, you and victorious. Hide and leave it all. He's the Son of God, the darling of heaven, crucified. What is the Lamb? What is the I crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon the throne. Hark how the heavenly anthems drawn on music for his own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee, and hail him as thy matchless king. Through all eternity, what is the life seated on the throne? Crown you now with many crowns, you and Victor, we yours. Hide and leave it all. He's the Son of God. The darling of heaven, crucified. What is the life? What is the life? What is the Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you indeed, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you so much, Sister Joseph, for allowing the Holy Spirit to use you instrumentally tonight and giving God the praise because truly indeed worthy is the Lamb. Brethren, we have Sister Clover who is coming on the attack right now and she needs your prayers. Sister Clover needs your prayers, so please just utter a word of prayer on behalf of Sister Clover. Another sister, indeed, in Christ who's coming under attack right now. And as we pray also for the speaker as well, let us pray and seek the Lord while he may be found. Father in heaven, we come. We're just so grateful and thankful for another opportunity, Lord, where we can come confessing our sins. And not only confessing our sins, Lord, but we thank you that you said, Lord, you're faithful and you're just to forgive us. So, Lord, we see that as benefits as blessing the forgiveness that comes from you so we come now asking lord that you will wash us that you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness seen and unseen known and unknown everything oh god that we have done that we have thought about that we have mentioned whatever lord we are asking now that you will wash us and as you wash us and cleanse us lord 
We're asking that your mighty hand will just move now and that as you hide us behind your defense line tonight, that your armor be placed upon each and every one of us, Lord. Do a surgery tonight because you are the surgeon, Lord. You have allowed Adam to, to, to go down and you took out a rib, Lord. Help us, Lord, to go down and take out the stony heart, the stiff nakedness from us, O oh Father. And we come tonight, indeed, on behalf of our sister, Sister Clover, Lord. And you see everything uh, that is happening within our midst right now, within our body right now, Lord. But we thank you for your anointing. I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that your power, Lord, will go now and move through, Lord, her body and let your anointing power rest upon her and destroy the yoke of the enemy, Lord. Break it from off her neck in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and loose her and set her free, Lord. Call her forth like you did Lazarus in the name of Jesus, Lord, and break every plan, break every fetter now, break it, Father, in the name of Jesus. Your daughter, stand in need of thee, Lord, and you promise, Lord, that you will supply our needs, so supply our need of thee right now, and release the power and the plans of the enemy and every band, Lord, and we Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord, for doing this for your daughter. Thank you, Lord, for hearing the cry of your people as we stand in the gap on behalf of Sister Clover. And, Lord, I want to present to you uh, the woman who will be bringing the word tonight, Lord. And she reminds me of Deborah, Lord. And I'm asking you to strengthen her arms, Father, her spiritual arms, and her, give her the spiritual high of Lord. Let the words that come forth out of her mouth tonight be impactful, Lord, that we will take it and we will practicalize it, Lord. We thank you for her. I pray that you will bless Sister Anita, Lord, that you will bless her going out and her coming in from this time forth, Lord. And like the mountains round about Jerusalem, do the same, Lord, and camp around her now. Angels of the Lord, and camp around her, Lord. Be with her husband as well tonight and the rest of her family, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, as she brings the word, use her mightily. And only you will get the praise, honor, and glory as we give her the worship. Now we thank you for what you have done and what you are about to do for us. And we thank you again for your wonderful Sabbath that you have given unto us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Good night, Sister Anita, all the way from the sunny island of St. Lucia. Praise the Lord. Good night, my sister. How are you doing? Good night, Brother Andrew. Happy Sabbath. And happy Sabbath amen, to everyone amen. on the line. Happy Sabbath. <laughs> yes, yes. It's just been wonderful just listening to the testimonies and and um, the song by Sister Joseph. God is just so good. He has been so great. And I'm just sharing with everybody else in the joy of the Lord on this Sabbath day. <laughs> Thank you so much.
So tonight, we're going to be talking about a passage of scripture that I believe not many persons have read or even know exists in the Bible. And just before I do so, I will, I'm inviting everyone, wherever you are, on the line right now, let's just bow our heads as we invite God's presence for the word. I know we did it already, but let's just pray again. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, your son, I come before you with nothing good to bring. Only to your cross I cling. And I ask, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, it would be acceptable in thy sight. Send forth your word from this feeble vessel. Send forth your word with power so that we can be revived, reformed, and transformed as your children of light. We thank you in advance for your word, and we bless and magnify your name tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, beloved, turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 19. It is not one of those well-known passages that we can just recite from memory. However, it is a very fitting text for the times that we are living in. And so this evening, the Lord has impressed that this word be given tonight. And so we're going to look at, I'm just going to read a few of the verses from Judges 19 and then give you the backdrop um, in terms of the context, what's happening in this passage of scripture. So if you have your Bibles with you, Judges chapter 19, and we're going to just read from verses 22 to 30. Now, I I'm inviting everyone, encouraging everyone to, to take notes down and to, in your spare time or when you have your devotions, just read the entire, um, the entire chapter. So Judges 19 verses um, 22 says, Now as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, beset the house round about and beat at the door and spake to the master of the house, the old man, saying, Bring forth the man that came into thine house, that we may know him. Verse 23 says, And the man, the master of the house, went out unto them and said unto them, Nay, my brethren, nay, I pray you, do not so wickedly, Seeing that this man is coming to mine house, do not this folly. Verse 24, behold, here is my daughter, a maiden, and his concubine. Them I will bring out now, and humble he them, and do with them what seemeth good unto you. But unto this man, do not so vile a thing. But the men would not hearken to him. So the man took his concubine and the man took his concubine and brought her forth unto them. And they knew her and abused her all the night until the morning. And when the day began to spring, they let her go. 
Verse 26. Then came the woman in the dawning of the day and fell down at the door of the man's house where her Lord was, till it was light. And her Lord rose up in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way. And behold, the woman, his concubine, was fallen down at the door of the house, and her hands were upon the threshold. And he said unto her, Up, and let us be going. But none answered. Then the man took her up upon his ass, and the man rose up and got him unto his place. And when he was come into his house, he took a knife, and laid hold of his concubine, and divided her together with her bones into twelve pieces, and sent her into all the coasts of Israel. And it was so, verse 30, that all that saw it said, there was no such deed done, nor seen from the day that the children of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt unto this day. Consider it. Take advice and speak your mind. As I consider our churches today, beloved, there are issues, you would agree with me, that we fail to address. There are things taking place at a time when Jesus is even at the door. The eastern sky is about to split. The trumpet is about to sound. And yet God's bride is not ready to receive him. I would like to use Judges 19 to paint a picture that I hope will stir our hearts to true repentance and reformation. Most Christian pastors would not even touch this text. But tonight, I explore this passage of scripture with you because it is relevant to the day and the time in which we live. It is relevant to our sisters, our daughters, our mothers, our sons, our fathers. Beloved, God is serious about his children living abundant lives. He is serious about us being peculiar, royal. And holy, we are pre- as we prepare for Jesus' soon return and his promise of the Elijah spirit, we need to know that there can be no revival without repentance and reformation. Now I invite you to join me as we unravel this passage of scripture together and, and, and just try to dig a little deeper and find out how. It can apply to our lives today. You see, Judges 19 begins with the words of warning, and that's from verse 1. It begins with the words, it was in the days when there was no king in Israel. These words are ominous. They let you know that something tragic is about to happen. The incident in question occurred during a time when there was no king. In Israel, Joshua had just died and there was no leader or judge. The absence, beloved, of a ruler in Israel 
was a recipe for lawlessness. Israel at this point had gotten out of control. Now you may ask, how in the world did Israel, among all other nations, get to such a point? If you followed through the passage that was just read, how could they get to such a point, you may ask, when God walked them out of Egypt with their enemies' wealth, God marched them through the Red Sea on Miracle Avenue. He conquered the Canaan land for them. And now they were poised for prosperity in the promised land. Why this mess? But just when they should have been clinging to God, just when they should have been reflecting his character the most, they turned their backs on him. We all know how prosperity goes to some people's heads. We know how when we start to amass wealth that we forget the one who gave us the blessing. So the children of Israel, when he was blessing them, instead of praising the one who blessed them, they forgot where their blessing came from and they no longer hungered for their God. For their creator. Instead, they began to thirst after the gods they created with their own hands. I say, mercy. Beloved, whenever we try to find a substitute for God, we are left with the unpleasant aftertaste of lawlessness and iniquity. So the scripture says it was a day when there was no king in Israel. It was a time such as this one, when, when God's truth was rejected, when error was accepted, when families were disconnected, young people were misdirected, immoral people became highly respected, and communities were crime-infected. It was a time that is no different from ours, beloved. It was a day and age where our women, our daughters, um, were exploited and degraded and mistreated just as they are today by media and society. A time when even women who were named the name of God or known by the name of God embraced the fashion of the world and the ways of the world, the customs of the world. And, and there was no reflection of the glory of God in their dress, in their walk, in their talk. If only we could see our value from the perspective of Calvary, how different our lives would be. It was a day when there was no king in Israel. That's what Judges 19 shares. And even the people of God lived immoral lifestyles. It did not start out as outright rebellion. It never does. The people of Israel began to observe the Canaanites, and slowly but surely, the customs of the Canaanites began to creep into the Israelite camp. There were small, unnoticeable sins at first, and then these sins increased incrementally until immorality became the norm and not the exception. And we're talking about the church. God's called and chosen people. Even the religious leaders 
got caught up in a lifestyle of immorality. As in our text, we find a Levite, a man consecrated, a beloved, and dedicated to carry out the sacred work in the temple of the Almighty God was engaging in immorality. He takes a concubine. He rejects God's standard of marriage. He dethrones a woman from her rightful role as wife and downsizes her to the status of a male concubine. The scripture tells us that even his concubine had issues. She was unfaithful. She leaves this concubine's house and goes back to her father's house and stays there for four months until the Levite shows up at the door. Now, there was no counseling session between him and the father. There was no words of rebuke as, as to why he had not wedded his daughter in a, in, a, in a more modest and upright way. Instead, the Levite and her father fellowship for five days, eating, drinking, and being merry, as we started off in the scripture from verse 22. On the fifth day, the Levite, his servant boy, and the concubine set out to go back to home. Or along the way, just giving you the context, along the way, as the sun began to set, the servant boy suggested that they should rest in the nearby town called Jebus, which was a foreign city. The Levites did not even hesitate when he heard the name. He said, are you crazy? I'm paraphrasing here. He responded that he was not going to spend a night among heathens. So instead, they traveled a little farther to a city called Gibeah. And that was the city of the tribe of Benjamin. Please note that it was in the city of Gibeah, a city of the Israelites, a city of the people of God. That, that is where this tragedy occurred. No one came. Now, they're in the city of Gibeah. No one came to their aid as they entered to offer them something to eat or something to drink, a practice that was customary in the nation of Israel when you saw strangers. They sat in the city square for hours until an old man, an Ephraimite, invited them to his home for the night. It was there as they began to fellowship that certain men from the city came and knocked on the door. Now these men please note, were gay and proud of it. They were homosexuals. They wanted the man, the Levite. The old man came out and tried to intervene, reminding them that this was not only bad hospitality, but it was sin. But beloved, here is where it, the, 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 the scripture gets to me. Instead, he, he offered another solution to the problem. He offered his daughter, virgin daughter, and the Levite's concubine in exchange for the Levite's dignity. Beloved, this man, who was supposed to be connected with God, failed to realize that it was just as much a sin for the men to rape two women as it was for them to rape another man. He didn't understand a woman's worth in the eyes of God. And so the situation gets out of hand. The town's men become more thoughtful. They are demanding that they get the Levite. He's sent out the house. And in the confusion and in the panic, the Levite 
pushes his concubine outside. Despite her cries for help, they all leave this woman helpless and powerless. The long night passes. A woman created in the image of God is reduced to such a low estate. While the enemy of souls, Satan, I would imagine, stands by laughing at the scene he has inspired through his possessed agents. After her horrific ordeal, she was disposed, and in the early hours of the morning, she tries to make her way to the house. As she reaches the door, she collapses. Oh, but friends, I wish this story had ended with this daughter of God getting medical attention, or I wish she had been given some, some, some form of counseling and had found some form of healing. But that's not how her story ended. At daylight, the Levite opens the door and sees her. She pract- he practically stumbles over her. He was not mindful about what she had endured through the night that many of you can, 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 can identify with tonight. Many of us go through situations. We go through pain and we go through sorrow. And the people that are closest to us, the people who should understand us the best, or know us the most, they seem so um, um, far and distant as it pertains to what we're feeling. Well, that is how this man was towards his concubine. He, his words to her were not, honey, let's get you to a doctor. I'm so sorry. He says to her, let's go. His lack of sensitivity to sensitivity to her situation stemmed from his lack of understanding a woman's words. When she does not respond, he deposits her body on his donkey and travels home. When he gets home, he does not inform her next of kin. He does not send condolences to her father who had been so nice to him. Instead, the hand that should have shielded her now severs her shoulders. The hand that should have helped her cuts off her head. The hand that should have cherished her now chops her up. The hand that should have defended her now divides her into pieces and distributes her to the 12 tribes of Israel. I wonder what I would, how I would have responded if I were alive at that time. I wonder how I would have responded if I received this woman's head in the mail Or what I would do if I received this woman's hand via UPS? What if FedEx brought me a package with her her limb? Would, Would I be outraged? Would you be outraged? Would you be interested in what happened? Or would you simply shrug your shoulders and say, society is sick today. This is not my business. This is not my problem. How should the people of God respond When immorality infests our churches, our homes, or our lives, how should we respond when children of God are suffering, and I'm talking about both men and women, from the immoral acts around them, when they are mistreated, degraded, disrespected, ill-treated? Should we laugh about it? Should we be entertained by it? Should we even partake in the acts, or should we respond like Jesus? who went out of his way to help society understand the high value that he places on people? 
So friends, it's hard imagining good coming out of this scripture. As appalling as her death was, it did serve a necessary purpose. Excuse me. Here is what her tragic ending did. It made the people of Israel evaluate their relationship with God. It made them cognizant of how far they had strayed from God. It made them cry out in anguish. It made them want to change their lives. It made them want to hold their, their, their kinsmen responsible for this atrocity. It made them understand that they were at an all-time spiritual low. Many of us today, beloved, are at an all-time spiritual low. And I will broaden it up to say many of our churches are at an all-time spiritual low. Our church is at an all-time spiritual low when we begin to question God's values and God's ideas. Our church is at an all-time spiritual low when we feed our minds on gossip that exalts the hurt and the pain of our members suffering from broken relationships, from broken homes or broken lives. Our church is at an all-time spiritual low when value is placed on positions, on pedigree, on possessions, and not people. Our church is at an all-time spiritual low when there is no help for those who need deliverance, those who need healing, those who need comfort or just a word of encouragement. Our church is at an all-time spiritual low when we do not see each other through the eyes of God. I wish that our churches would realize that this is not an academic scripture. It is a reality in our day and age. Our society has deviated so far from the standard of God that even in the church, we have begun to question God's values and God's ideas. We should be a people that the world should come to for solutions to the problems that they face. Why? Because they see us modeling a perfect master blueprint of how people can love each other and be united for one purpose under God, which is to glorify him. We should never be part of the problems around us, beloved, but rather part of the solutions. So permit me for a moment to present to you the biblical record of what God says is the worth of a woman. And that is how we start to be part of the solution. Can you find one passage where Jesus slaps a woman around or any human being for that matter, verbally abuses her or mistreats her? As Jesus' disciples, we are to model his example. We are to understand that we cannot serve God as our superior and treat people as our inferior. So going back to a woman's worth, how does God describe a woman's worth? Genesis 1.21 says she is created in his image and his likeness. And this, this, this declaration right now is going out for all the women who have been battered, abused, 
or are being battered, abused, some way, somehow, emotionally, mentally, uh, you know, in one way or another, even through your past, your childhood, whatever you've been through. And I know we have many women on the prayer line right now. Many, many faithful women of God who are still scarred, who are still hurting. Remember, Genesis 1.21 declares your work by saying you were created in the image and likeness of Almighty God. Genesis 2.18 says you are a partner to the man, not inferior to him. And let me ask you, who needed help? The man needed help. Now, that's not saying he's inferior either, but God's pattern is perfect. Luke 10, 39 to 42 says that a woman's place is in the presence of God. Proverbs 31, she's priceless. Joel chapter 2, she is an equal recipient of the Holy Spirit and a full partner in ministry. Galatians 3, 28 and 29 says she is one in Christ and heir to the promise of salvation. But here in John chapter 19, verses 25 to 27 is the most vivid description of a woman's worth as Jesus portrays it. Picture Jesus on the cross. He's been pierced by the price of our transgressions. He's gripped by the gloom of impending death and wounded by the wrath of God's judgment. He's been crushed by the critical mass of the world's sins. He is aching with acute agony of eternal death, and he is laboring to breathe his last breath. All of humanity is dependent on his death for their eternal salvation. Jesus is about to make the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me and for every person who's lived since Adam and Eve. He's about to close his eyes to expire, but he sees a woman at the feet of the cross. He sees his mother weeping. He sees the woman who labored in a stable to give birth to, to him. He sees the woman who instigated turning water into wine. He saw the woman who traveled from city to city ministering to his needs. He sees the woman whose heart is being pierced as the prophecy is being fulfilled and there at death's door, Jesus declares a woman's worth. He looks at his mother and then he turns to his disciple, John. How does Jesus describe a woman's worth tonight, beloved? She is too precious for him. To abandon her. She is too favored to be forgotten at Calvary. She is too loved to be left alone after he dies. She is too dear for him to leave her destitute. She is too important for her to be abandoned. She is too valuable for her to be left broken. At the appointed hour of his death, Jesus delays his destiny with death because of a woman's worth. He endures a little while longer to lovingly place his mother in the care of John, his disciple. I say, wow. If you never understood your importance as a woman tonight, there it is painted in love. There at Calvary's cross, Jesus declares a woman's worth. 
and John, the former son of thunder, formerly a man of violence, accepted that responsibility of caring for his mother. He followed Christ's example of elevating women, valuing women, cherishing women. In case you need more evidence tonight, read through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In these sacred passages, over and over again, Jesus declares the worth of a woman. He declared it when he raised, when he healed Jairus' daughter. He declared it when virtue flowed from him at the touch of the woman with the issue of blood. He declared it when he healed Peter's mother-in-law, who was near death. He declared it by his divine meeting with the woman at the well. He declared a woman's worth when Mary Magdalene was brought to him to be stoned to death for a sin that, yes, she was guilty of, and he forgave her and he delivered her. Oh, beloved, tonight I am not demoting our men of God or stating that they are inferior, but rather I am elevating our women by declaring that we need to take our rightful positions as God intended us to be. I am declaring that we have for far too long now too many broken women in our, in our, around us, in our societies, in our circles. How can we be of help and service to our husbands or our children or even our church if we do not even understand our words or believe and claim what God says we are? In closing, I believe that one of Jesus' biggest declarations of the worth or the value that he places on women was at his resurrection. Think about it. The first to behold the risen Savior was Mary Magdalene, from whom he cast out seven devils, the one who was brought before him caught in adultery. Though his disciples were so powerful and mighty and, 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 and so loved by him, it was not Peter or James or John that he allowed to be the first to see the risen Savior. It was a sinner. One person that all society thought was the lowest of lows among them. It was a sinner saved by grace. Beloved, let us love the women around us with the love of Christ. Not just the women, but the men, the children, May we, women, I'm speaking to us now, may we strive every day to live lives reflecting the worth that Jesus has placed on us. Whoever you are tonight on the prayer line, whatever your gender, your creed, your race, may we always remember that God does not see us with his eyes but that he sees us with his heart and he will always see us with his heart. And I leave with you this scripture, Romans 8, chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, 
nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. And where is that love planted? Which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So tonight, may God richly bless every single one of us. And whomever we are, may we see ourselves through the eyes of a loving, long-suffering, and merciful God. No matter how far you've gone, no matter how distant you feel from him, his arms are wide open and he's saying, in spite of all that you see yourself as, you were worth it. And I came and I bled and I gave up the ghost. I gave up my life because you were worth it. Almighty Father, we do not have words to describe our gratitude for loving us so much. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son, your word declares. Thank you for demonstrating your love through giving your son as a ransom for us. Lord, may we step out in faith, embracing the promises of your word, the declarations in your word concerning who we are in you. We rebuke the lies. We rebuke the deceptions of Satan that has caused our minds to be tainted and darkened, our eyes to be blinded. Oh God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we ask that you give us a fresh revelation of who we are in Christ Jesus, your beloved son. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. May God bless you. Thanks for listening to the Bun to Christ Ministries podcast. We hope that you were blessed. Feel free to visit our website at buntochrist.com for more content and information. Also, feel free to contact us at buntochrist70 at gmail.com with your prayer requests or any questions you may have. May God richly bless you, and we'll see you next time.